Welcome back to the Audience Podcast. I'm Craig Hewitt, your host. This episode, I'm really excited to, to share with you. I have Jack Resider from the Darknet Diaries podcast. Uh, Jack has grown a really successful podcast all around kind of the, the dark side of the internet, hacking and exploits and things like that. Jack shares a lot of really great and useful information about going to your audience and hanging out and engaging with your audience where they already are. He uses Twitter for this, but but I think it's different for everybody. And then also talking about the amount of time that it takes to really hone your craft and create super excellent content that your your fans are going to be rabid for and will share with with their friends and coworkers and people in their world. Um, I really think Jack has done a great job of of creating a really excellent podcast, and the results show in the growth of the show over time. With that, here's Jack Resider from the Darknet Diaries podcast. Jack Resider, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. So for folks who aren't already familiar with the Darknet Diaries podcast, do you want to give a, a bit of a background about kind of who you are and what you're up to with the podcast there? It's a podcast I made about two years ago, and uh, we're at about 58 episodes now. And um, yeah, it's a show that, I mean, the, the tagline is true stories from the dark side of the internet. So I like, I think everyone, on the tip of everyone's tongue right now is hacker stories. They want to know, like, what did that hacker do? Is hacker hack this and the hacker that? And so everyone's talking about it, you know, your, your barber and petition everyone so i was like in i was in a, a security engineer and I, I was like in the perfect position to say hey why don't i see if i can make a podcast just covering these stories because i think they're high drama and that kind of thing and and um, so i tried it and worked out and fast forward to today i have about two hundred thousand downloads per episode that's a lot that's uh that's amazing success congratulations thank you yeah yeah at this point is your podcast kind of your full-time gig then Yep, it sure is. It's bringing in um, more money than what I was as a as an engineer, and so it's now at the point where I'm starting to hire more people to help me kind of alleviate the load and work on new projects because my fans want more of things from me. So let's let's help them get that. Yeah, awesome. I'd love to dig into that kind of a bit later on. Um, you know, so I, we we reached out to have you on the show because you've been writing quite a bit on your blog about. Uh, you know, podcast, how to podcast analytics and growth and things like that. And and one of your articles was around like this kind of tipping point concept where um, your your podcast audience has this organic size past the point where people are telling their friends about it and your podcast kind of starts growing by itself. Um, can you describe a little bit more about kind of how you've seen that come about in your show and, and kind of what you think that means for for kind of your brand? Yeah, I think, I mean, everyone who podcasts kind of has this hope in the back of their head that they, they drop the episode, they put it out there in the world, and somehow it gets discovered and spreads, and things are just PG. But it never is the case. I've never heard of a podcast like doing that. There's always some sort of uh, push or effort or drive to make it a success, and it never simply just organically does it. I mean, you you might say, well, there's this one podcaster I know of that did that, and it happened. Well, it probably is because they had already like ten thousand followers on Twitter or something to seed that to begin that, right? So it's there's some magic power that they had to begin with. But as I got into podcasting, that was something I wanted to know was how much do I have to seed this before it can just kind of push itself? Because then at some point, there is enough momentum, there's enough listeners, and and if they're passionate enough, they're going to start sharing the show. 
and that will drive the, the growth of the podcast all by itself. And then I could sit back and let it go. And uh, I was at first I was very fascinated with what is that number? Uh, you know, how, how, how high do I how high do I need to push that boulder up the hill before I can hit that, uh, you know, kind of roll downhill thing. But I, I was looking for this number and, and asked a bunch of people and nobody really understood what I was looking for. Like, uh, you know, like how high do you have to get before it just kind of, you know, markets itself. And um, so I said, OK, well, I'll have to research this myself. So I, I, I was really just focused on this for a while. And what I ended up finding was um, at about 150 passionate listeners, people who really love the show, um, is when things just start, you feel like a breeze pushing you from behind. And um, it's not quite having the boulder go back downhill, right? You're not you're not home free after 150 listeners, but you feel a couple hands helping you push that boulder up the hill at the same time. Because at that point, you're getting, you know, maybe a couple more listeners a, a day or a week. And so it's a trickle at that point. It's a small trickle, but you do feel the growth happening all by itself. Hmm. And so, uh, yeah, there, there, and there's some reasons why I came to that number 150. Are those uh, like reasons that you think are universal to many shows or do you think it's specific to, to kind of your niche and your audience and things like that? Well, it's it's hard to know for sure. It's it's a very gray area which I'm getting into, and it's almost uh, it's almost theoretical what I'm talking about. But yeah, okay, I would go so far as to say it applies to most shows. And so, for all of us listening, the website that Jack blogs about all of his kind of podcasting exploits and and the success he's having and things he's learning along the way is at Lime Link. Uh, lime like the fruit and dot link and we'll put a link to this in the show notes but it's definitely worth checking out uh, jack has a couple of really great articles in here about this kind of critical mass that he's talking about with a core podcast audience uh, and some other really interesting articles about kind of how he podcasts what his analytics mean to him and kind of journaling the growth of him as a podcaster so it's definitely worth checking out lime dot link for his blog okay let's take it back to the conversation with jack resider now I, I I would like to dig in more to this kind of, you know, once you have this, say, critical mass of, of core listeners that are sharing with their, their friends and colleagues and stuff, then you'll get additional listeners every week. Because it sounds like you're, you know, at 200,000 listeners and you're hiring people to, to join your team and give your audience more of, of what they're looking for. So, so I wonder a bit if there's like this arrival fallacy, right, of like, when I quote, make it, then, then it's all easy. You're probably working as hard or harder now than you ever did, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's there's always, I don't know. It's just it doesn't seem like it's gotten any easier now that I have a bigger audience. That is true. But the marketing part of it is definitely I've eased up on it. And once I got to a certain point where I felt confident that the show is big enough that I don't necessarily need it to grow, but if it does, I don't know where the ceiling is. So um, I'm not going to push hard to make it grow higher, I don't think, at this point. I might later, but I just don't feel like it now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I kind of eased up on the marketing part of it because I was I was pushing that boulder up the hill to get to get more listeners for the last two years. I can imagine with an audience the size of yours at this point, a lot of the the weight you might feel is around creating really great content because so many people tune into what you're doing. If you let the quality of your show slide, 
a lot a lot of people would see it and and might be kind of critical of that. Is that how you're feeling? <laughs> yeah, and in fact, I met Ira Glasswatch, which is one of my heroes in in, in audio. And I, that was the first question I asked him. I'm like, you have 2 million listeners. Don't you feel like the least bit nervous when you hit that publish button and it goes out to 2 million people or 5 million, actually. He's got 2 million on the radio and like another 2 million on the podcast. And uh, he's like, no, I don't feel nervous at all. And I did when I was like at 100,000 listeners, like, is this any good? Are people going to like this? But um, he says he just has enough people helping work on the show and fact checkers and writers and researchers that he doesn't feel nervous that he's making you know doing it wrong or presenting it wrong if he thinks it's a good story then it is uh it's you know he feels good about it that was that was his response to it and i do feel nervous about it today i feel like as soon as i put something out i i'm really worried about totally missing the mark misrepresenting the whole story missing like a total a big part of the story or something that i didn't research enough or highlighting something that definitely doesn't need to be highlighted because maybe that person is a total jerk or something like that, you know? And yeah. I just shouldn't have talked about him at all. So, uh, yeah, I get nervous about that. And uh, so far, it's worked out pretty well. But this is a lot of pressure on Jack to, to get everything right and to deliver what his audience is looking for every episode. From a content planning and strategy perspective, I ask him how, how he goes about organizing that aspect of his work, because planning the content and the interviews and how you're going to Go through a story is a big part uh, of him getting uh, the work done right before an interview so that he can be successful when it's released. Yeah, well, so I first have to find a story and I look in a few different places, right? So I've got Google Google Alerts and I put in things like hacker died, hacker sentenced, uh, biggest hack ever, like and things like that. So if a story shows up with something like that in there, I'll see that, that note. That I'll get an email that says, you know, hey, this hacker was sentenced. And when a hacker gets sentenced, now I kind of know the whole story, right? I can know what they hacked, why they hacked it, how they got arrested, what the verdict was in the trial, and then now now here's the sentencing. So it's like it puts a perfect bow on the whole story. And a lot of times we don't hear that in the news, the end of the story. We hear, oh, I don't know, Equifax is breached, right? But we don't hear like what happened six years later when they caught the person and arrested them or whatever. So that's why I really like, that's kind of the way I approach my show is I want to wait till the story is totally over and then put it out there. So often it's like a six-year-old story. So that's one way to get things. Another thing is I look at uh, conferences to hear talks. There's a lot of security talks, so I, I watch talks, a lot of talks, and if anyone has a really good story that they've already given, presented publicly, then I'll just scoop that up and say, hey, you've already talked about this publicly. Can you tell me the same story on the on the podcast? And so a lot of people say yes to that. And then I just look at a lot of articles to find something interesting. So that's how I find the story. And then when I do when I do that, I, I then have to find the, the right people to interview for the story, whoever I can get who's available. And then I edit the interview, so I pull the right tape that needs to be done, and I write narration in there to kind of add storytelling aspects in, in there. So if there's a you know real dramatic, high cl- climax part, I don't want that to just be like, okay, and he hit enter and that's it. The whole <laughs> right. thing got erased, right? I want it to be like, okay, so he hesitated with his finger right over the enter key, took one last breath, and then pushed, you know, the fatal key on the keyboard. And so you got to add these kind of storytelling aspects into, you know, it's a true story, but it's still, you can you can make it more dramatic in, in this kind of way. So I add that as my narration and then... um 
add the add uh, and then narrate it and put and you know piece it all together and then add the sound because I have about 15 songs per episode kind of in the background and then I, I listen to it and that's the first time I finally get excited about the episode because you can hear what it might sound like and then I have to do a bunch of edits to kind of massage it into something better but it, it, that's that's kind of my process. Neat, really interesting. How long do, does that whole process take? Oh, at least a week. Wow. So okay. some, I mean, some. This uh, a recent episode I put out. Um, I had been asking this person to be on my show for uh, like eight months and just kind of like pestering them. I reached out on Twitter, no response. I reached out on LinkedIn, no response. I reached out again on Twitter, no response. Again on LinkedIn, no response. And then email. And, you know, I had to kind of dig deeper to find the the email and all this. So they're kind of like, how did you even find my email? And I'm like, because you're not responding to me on all these public channels. So, like, when are you going to talk to me? So finally they're like, okay, yes. And then we had to schedule it. And, you know, how that goes, it might take weeks and stuff. So it took at least eight months just to get that one interview. And then from there, it, it was about a week's worth of work to put it together. Yeah, no, I can relate. I mean, I think... Doing an interview and just a straight interview, like if we were to publish this just like it is, really not that hard uh, and actually a really effective use of a lot of people's time to, to create content. Um, but but to create a highly produced, uh, you know, say NPR Gimlet style episode where there's uh, narration and drama and a lot of music and things like that is really difficult, really difficult, like from a time perspective, I think, but also like almost conceptually, right, for you to to listen through and then say, OK, we need to stop here and I need to insert this specific thing to to give the next thing that my guest is going to say a lot more kind of oomph. Uh, I, I find that really challenging and, and not not natural, um, but but it's really great when done right. Yeah. And I think that was my biggest hurdle to start was I don't think I can do this by myself. When you listen to a Gimlet show or a Wondery show, there is literally 20 people in the credits. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, that's impossible for me to do by myself. And so I, I, I just kind of put this whole idea on the shelf for, I don't know, eight months. And then, you know, I said, you know what? I'm tired of waiting for this to come around. I want this show to exist. So I, I some things that helped me was reading the book Out on the Wire, which is uh, which interviews a lot of the people who work at NPR and such. And they just ask them like every question of how do you do it? And they talk about it. And I was like, this is so helpful. And so I literally spent about two, three months just researching how they make the show. And that, you know, I think that preparation went a long way because if I would have just tried without knowing what I was doing and put something out, it just wouldn't have flown. So spending in in fact the, the the first story i worked on for like a month uh turned out to be too big of a story and i just wasn't doing it justice because it was just such a cool story i was like i'll save this for later so i had to scrap the story i had been working on for a month and start back over which was great because it's practice right and so you, you don't you don't realize how much practice a good podcaster really needs to put into before they're a, a good podcaster and that's just part of the process, I think. You just can't pick up a mic and think that you can be Joe Rogan the next day. There is a big, long road between here and there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that, yeah, like we said, it applies to the the craft of, of creating really good content. It also applies to just the time it takes to to build a big listenership, right? I mean, I know in your, your blog post kind of about the, the analytics of your show, you, you talk about the, the time when there just weren't a lot of people listening. And then, uh, you know, there were these inflection points along the way that have really helped you grow. But but without those, it's just a slow slog to, to grow your listenership. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so I mentioned the inflection points that that have really helped kind of grow your audience. And uh, the the big thing that I took away from this um, was that uh, kind of co-promotion or being mentioned in other kind of publications or, you know, the mass media has really been a thing that uh, kind of took the show to the next level several different times for you. Do you want to kind of give some some more color around that? Sure. And I, I really want to give credit first and foremost to my listeners. And I think that without a passionate audience, somebody who loves the show, none of this would have worked. And and I want to really I want to really highlight this because if you have a good podcast, nobody shares a good podcast. Nobody raves about a good podcast. They're just like, oh, yeah, I, I watch that. I listen to that. That's fine. But they're not going to go to their coworkers at work and say, oh, you have to listen to this good podcast. No, they turn good podcasts off to go listen to great podcasts, and then they can't stop talking about great podcasts, okay? So it's important to really hone in on your craft. And before trying to market anything or trying to push what you have, you really need to get your head in a book or in a class or get a mentor or have somebody really teach you how to make your podcast better. And then get that feedback to get it to the next level. And feedback isn't a question of like, hey, let me know how I'm doing, but more along the lines of um, how was the sound design in this episode, right? Get specific. How was my questions? How was my, uh, how did, how did my mic sound, right? So get specific because when you ask people these specific questions, they'll be able to give you specific answers. And if you ask them really broad stuff, they're not going to give you much. So, um, you know, one of the, some of the early questions I was asking my, my audience at the beginning was like, at what point did you turn this episode off? Mm, yeah. <laughs> right. Cause I want to know when was it just so bad and boring that you're like, skip it. I'm going to listen to something else. And, you know, that was a very important part of knowing how long people were listening to. Cause you don't, you don't, you don't ask your, your mom or something. How, how was it? And that was good, honey. You ask her, what point did you turn it off? And now you've got a real conversation, right? Well, I listened to the whole thing. Okay. Well, how did it turn out at the end? Right? Like, well, I didn't listen to that part. Okay. Well, what part did you turn it off? Like you gotta, you just gotta be open and honest with yourself and it's okay to get this feedback because you're learning. You're just practicing. You don't know what you're doing. So you ask these kind of questions at the beginning and it teaches you so much about your show and it gets you that better show and you want to outdo yourself every single time. How can I make it better next time and better and better? How can I totally surprise my audience when they're already blown away by this? What can I do to make it even more crazy so they never imagined a show like this, even after they've been blown away over and over and over, right? So you want to get to that level. And if you can get there, now your show is primed to spread. Now it's it's got the gasoline. Somebody just needs to light that match. Mm. So I want to make sure that that is important to have a great show, not just a good show or a mediocre show. Mediocre just is going to die quick. So once you have something great, now it's ready to you know s- set on fire. And some of the things that I did to try to get it to set on fire was I was emailing a ton of people who have an audience, right? So this is journalists who write articles. This is other podcasters, YouTubers, poets, lar- you know, large people who have a large following on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Anyone who has a large audience, I was emailing them and saying, I think this show would really resonate with your audience. You might want to check it out. And just something as simple as that. Mm. And, um, you know, out of 100 people that I emailed, one or two picked it up, right? So The Guardian picked it up and said, oh, you know, there's, an, there's a writer at The Guardian who writes about podcasts. And uh, she published an, uh, uh, an article in The Guardian. And I don't think it really caught that many 
you know, people to go listen to it after reading it in The Guardian. But the fact that it got there gave me that kind of social reputation of like, oh, this podcast is featured in The Guardian. Wow, this is, you know, I've got to get on this, right? So there was... It's legit. Yeah. There was a, a lot of, yeah, it's some, it legitimizes it. And then there was another person who had 2 million followers on Twitter and I emailed them and they said, uh, wow, this is really good. So they sent it out to their, you know, they tweeted about it and that was all they did. And, you know, that hit, you know, 2 million followers or whatever. And I was just, again, blown away that two out of 100 is is kind of a low, <laughs> a low number. But think about how exponential that is or, you know, how big of, a, of an opportunity that is when that happens. So that was one big strategy I had of just seeing if I could get somebody with a bigger audience to to talk about this. And another strategy is just going on a bunch of podcasts. I was on 13 different podcasts last year just uh, talking about whatever people want to talk about. Was the outreach uh, a difficult thing to to, to manage? Because I know like doing it for business, it gets kind of demoralized and you send a bunch of emails. People say, you know, what? stop emailing me. What the heck are you doing? People just don't respond. At, at any time, was it kind of like, golly, this is this is tough. This isn't worth it. This isn't working kind of thing? Yeah, it felt, yeah, that slimy feeling of like, oh man, I'm just doing it. But uh, there was one guy who was really, really, really mad at me for sending him an email. He's like, take me off your list. I'm like, I didn't, you didn't put you on a list. I just emailed you one time. He's like, I don't care. I hate this spam. You need to never do this again. And so it did feel slimy about that. But that was one in 100, right? So the other other people just didn't either read it or care or just are used to it, whatever. So it, there wasn't that. But I think it's just one of those things you need to get used to as self-promotion and pushing that boulder up the hill is you need to be passionate about the show you make and you need to be raving about it like this is great stuff I'm telling you you need to <laughs> check this out because if you're not selling it about yourself then it's it's other people may not be excited about it either right so there is just something you have to get used to about self promoting and it and get over the fact like here's what I think about marketing like it doesn't it should never feel slimy it should feel like you're I mean, if, if somebody came to you and said, I need a podcast that is X and X is exactly the podcast you make, of course, you're going to say, well, I make a show exactly like that. And yep. there's nothing slimy about that. That's that's what effective marketing is. It's getting it to the people who need it the most and want it and are ready for it and are desperate for it. And you're like, here it is. That's how you should be focusing on who you're, who you're marketing to. And that's why the people who I emailed they were exactly, their audience was exactly my audience. So I had already checked them out. Like they were YouTubing about the same topic as I am. They're podcasting about the same topic as I am. Like everything matches up. So we were in a sense competitors at some point, but at the same time, it's like, I know if I could get in front of their audience, that would be, they would love my show. It's not, it's not bad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So there was, there was a lot of that that went on. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think that, um, you know, I had a, a mentor one time that said your job as, you know, sales or marketing is to to provide the people that need your thing with the with your solution because yours is the best. And if you don't do that, you're doing them a disservice because they're missing out on this wonderful solution. And and I think when we have the conviction, whether it's something that we're selling for business or marketing or, or selling your business or selling or marketing our podcast, it's the same thing. Like you're reaching out to those people saying, I know I have, I have exactly what you and your readers need. Uh, and, and it's my job really to, to provide you with this thing. And this is going to make 
you know, your life, these people that you're reaching out to better because of that. Yes, exactly. I love that. You, you mentioned that you had a lot of kind of dialogue and discussions with your listeners about your show. And we, we promote heavily that building a community around your podcast is a really important thing to do and a great way to to kind of make your show more than just a podcast, but because now, you know, your whole brand is, is not just the podcast, but it's this whole this whole community and the people and the discussion and turns into live events and things like that. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about like how that has evolved over time and kind of what listener engagement looks like now for you? Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, I don't have any live events coming up, but... Okay. I mean, you don't rule it out though, right? I mean, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure that kind of thing could be in the books. Yeah. Maybe. So so what started was Twitter. And I, the reason why it started with Twitter is because that's where my core audience is, right? So this is where the authors are. These are where the speakers are. These are where the tech innovators are. The people who talk about security, everyone who's anyone is there on Twitter. So I needed to get in with that group because if I could get the those guys and, and people passionate about this, then they can put me on their shoulders and spread it around. So I knew I had to win those hearts first. And so it was imperative for me to to be cool in that community, right? Like post the memes that they would appreciate, post the questions that they would think are the most philosophical or something. You know, like it, it was it was important just to get in with the community before even trying to build it. Just promote other podcasts that are in this space, promote other, uh, you know, YouTube channels that are in this space, uh, talk about, you know, really interesting things that that community would like and, and just be, just engage with, with people who might be interested in my show, but not necessarily selling it. And so, you know, even before I made a podcast, I had probably about 3000 followers on Twitter because that I was already involved in that community and, and, and doing that. So that was the first step was to, to just learn what it was everybody is talking about, being able to talk their language, being able to know what's what's hip, who's the who's the influencers here, all the things that go on in in that core community, and even going to a lot of conferences and talking to as many people as I could as well. And so once once I kind of established myself on Twitter as somebody who's you know a blog, I was a blogger before, and now I'm a podcaster, and people are liking it. Like they 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 could see you know this guy's got kind of some street cred, and uh, and then from there. I realized that not all my listeners are on Twitter. So I wanted to get feedback. I wanted to engage with my listeners. So I was like, I'll go to wherever they are. And so I created a LinkedIn account, an Instagram account, a Facebook account, and uh, even started a subreddit and thought, okay, my listeners are probably in one of these places, right? There's, I can't believe somebody would be so into tech and just totally tuned out to all of that. But somewhere they've got a catch run, right? So, th- so now the closer I am to them, the lesser the barrier it is for them to reach out to me or engage with me. So now when I'm on Instagram, I get, I get a different crowd completely. It's not my core audience. It's more of a younger crowd or foreigners even that are, that are messaging me and we're having these private discussions about the show. And uh, it's it was just surprising to see how they engage differently there. So, yeah, it's just like going to them lets me engage with them in a lot easier fashion. It takes down that barrier. They don't have to go to my website to find my email to email me. They just see me chatting away over there on their favorite social media platform. That made it one step easier, which gave me a lot more feedback and a, label, a, lo- a lot you know, a lot more uh, talking about the show. One more thing was I, uh, one of my fans actually created a Discord channel and that is where you can have kind of live chats going on. And um, 
that is fan driven, but I do like hanging out in there and, and people uh, just engage with themselves there. So that's kind of where the community has, has sprung up in is there. And now they just talk amongst themselves and they do promotions about the show themselves in there and all kinds of things. It's really wild. Yeah, that is really uh, organic, right? At that point, you've had that critical mass where people are, you know, they're going to create the, this channel by themselves to, to be able to chat about your episodes. That's... Yeah, that's you've arrived for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's cool. Has um has the the feedback from fans been kind of difficult to to manage like emotionally or or has it affected what you're doing? Um a little yeah, I mean everyone so I mean the majority of feedback is all positive. So that's that's fantastic. And there's nothing that is just more sweet and sensational of as making something creative. And then having somebody just appreciate it on a whole nother level. Like the feedback I I have is like my nine-year-old likes listening to this. <laughs> or I've sat my whole family down to listen to this. And I'm like, I can't believe you sat your whole family down. Or I told everyone in the office. And now I have my now my CISO, after listening to a couple episodes, is changing the policy and the whole company. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm making like a big impact. So it's really cool to hear that kind of feedback. And that that is worth more to me than you know, a paycheck or whatever, because it's just so cool to see the reach and the, and the impact that I've been doing. But yes, every now and then I do have somebody who just blows up at me and says, I, I, I don't know English. I talk like a 16 year old or I didn't <laughs> research this well enough or, you know, it's all these things and they have something bad to say. And, and that does, I do, you know, lean into that and say, well, tell me more. I want to learn so that I can be better and, and we'll have a long conversation. And then by the time we're done talking, they're usually back to being a super fan again. So it's interesting to see them kind of flip, but uh, yeah, I do get some people who are really mad at me. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about sensitive subjects, right? I talk about, um, you know, re- uh, revenge porn and Israel and uh, terrorism and governments and all this kind of stuff. So we get into some really sticky subjects, and some people are just passionate about stuff. Yeah, yeah. That, I think that I think that lends itself to having really loyal fans, though, right? I mean, I think you mentioned you know you got to have an extraordinary podcast. I think part of it is the the subject matter. It's really easier to have rabid fans when you have a, a passionate subject. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things too is is to be is to be out there. I mean, that's what the book Out on the Wire says is get on that tightrope and see if you can walk across it because it's really crazy out there. And uh if you can make it then hey, you can make something special. Yeah, interesting. So so Jack, what is uh you know, we're coming into 2020 now. Uh what is the what is the future of the show look like for you guys? Well, yeah, now I'm starting to build a team, which is just really wild because I, I don't know, you know how to find people or do that. So I've been going through a lot of different producers and seeing what they can do. And some are sticking around and some are leaving. So I'm just trying more and more. I've got uh, writers trying things and graphic designers. So I'm just kind of building things out. And if I can alleviate some of the workload, then I can uh, work on you know maybe another podcast or write a book or something, maybe throw more episodes out, whatever. But um, yeah, it's just so much work that... Uh, it would be nice to have some people help me on it to get that done. So that's what I think this year would be is to um, get a get a team behind it to to build it. Get that 20, 20 people on the end at the end of the episode to say it was made by these twenty people. Yeah, and I think that would really help me uh, get to the next level. Would that you think allow you to create just more content, or is there something if you're just going to put out an episode a week? Do you think you could do more with that one episode if you had more people? Is it is it both or is it yeah? 
Well, yeah, there is a combination of both, right? So one of the things I'd like to do is more investigative journalism, right? So let's track down this hacker. Let's fly to Russia and see if we can find them and interview them and get crazy with it. Like there's such there's such excitement and just that alone, right? Like, you know, they disappeared and now we don't know where they are. Let's go find them. Uh, so, the, you know, there's all kinds of things like that. So I, I would like to do that, but that takes a lot of resources and, and somebody who can stay on the trail for, I don't know, like look at Serial. It took them a year to make that episode, that yeah. series, right? So sometimes investigative journalism just takes a long time to get the freedom of information request back and uh, to find the people and get them to agree. So, yeah, it would be nice to get something like that going where it's just investigative style, but... Um, yeah, at the same time, it would be nice to just put out a lot more episodes. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Jack, this is really great. I learned a lot, and I think our audience will have also. Um, for folks who want to kind of check out more about you and the show, what's the best place? Well, Darknet Diaries is the name of the podcast, and you can go to darknetdiaries.com. And I'm most active on Twitter, Jack Recider. Jack, thanks so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having me. This was great. Once again, thanks to Jack Recider for coming on the podcast today. Please check out his website at lime.link and the podcast at darknetdiaries.com. Uh, it's a really fantastic show, whether you're a, a techie or not, just to, to see how Jack has kind of refined his craft, how he tells a story, how his episodes are put together, and then kind of how he engages and, and follows his audience. I think it's really a great case study for us all to, uh, to kind of envy and to follow along with. So thanks again to Jack for coming on the show today. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Show notes for this episode can be found at castos.com slash podcast. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.